Hey Siri, find me a dope podcast for black insurance professionals. Connecting you to Sobel Live. What's up, Sober family? Welcome to Sober Live, where industry and culture meet. I am T. Priester, co-founder of Sober and president of Noble. Hello, everybody. This is Shay. I am founder of The Bridge, financial accountability coaching company and co-founder of Sober. We also have... This is Ashley. Nice to see y'all again. Uh, I am the owner and president of Making Money Matter, LLC, and... Uh, I'm a client service manager in my nine to five. Welcome back, Ashley. Thank you. How's everybody's week been going so far? It's, it's funny. We always ask this and it's only Monday. So <laughs> there's not so much that happened in the, well, I can't say that because I know we had some stuff happen, Shay, but how's your weekend? How's your week starting off for everybody? Uh, it's been a Monday. That's, that's about all I can say, but my weekend was good. The weather was nice. You know, good. I was productive. Good. That's always yeah. good. And the weather has such a big impact, you know, and in the city of Atlanta and surrounding suburbs, um, it's always so much to do when the weather is good. I actually, I had a very long business meeting on Saturday, but Sunday, I kind of spent the day in the city, just kind of going here and there and seeing what was going on. And it was Thick. Shout out to all the Airbnb owners because yeah. I know they are getting their money right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thick. Yeah. So my weekend was good. Um, productive as well. Uh, I did something I haven't done in a while on Saturday morning. Um, I got on the on the phone and did some training with some agents, calling some leads. And um, you you like to think that you you don't lose it you know, um, when it comes to getting on the phone. But it took me a little while to warm back up to it. I haven't been on the phone prospecting with cold leads for probably about three or four months. So, I mean, the script is the same. You know, I I know it. I've used it for years. But it was interesting getting back on the phone. And I was working with some agents that are transitioning from the field to Mm -hmm. telesales. And, you know, they were kind of struggling with, on the phone, you don't have to warm up. You know, we're always trained when you're walking up to the door, you know, how to prepare for the warm up in the house, you know, waving at the window, complimenting the grass, the car, whatever. You got that warm up. But on the phone, it's a little different. You got a couple of seconds to establish who you are. You're going to get that click. So we spent a lot of time dealing with that. But again, it, w- it was interesting because, again, I, I haven't done it for months. So enjoyed doing that. Monday had some hiccups earlier today. But um, as I shared when we were backstage, it's raining over here. So I'm hoping all that's getting washed away. And uh, the sun is back out tomorrow so we can get back at it. That's right. That's what's up. I actually have to go in the office and do the same thing Thursday, get with a new agent and go through some calls. So I'm excited. I haven't done it in a while. I'm working for a corporation. You know, we've been we've been restricted a bit, you know, with meeting and I'm really excited to do it because I know agents are like, Hey, we're feeling really isolated. So, you know, bringing on and hiring new agents at a time when we were in a lockdown was really difficult. It was difficult for me, but more difficult for them. So I'm looking forward to getting on the phone with them Thursday too. So let me ask you this, Shay. I know United Healthcare pivoted with everybody else doing COVID and did a lot of telesales. How did your agents adjust to that? So I would say that my agents who, so, so the typical agent on my team is probably because of course I'm focused on Medicare and although it's a sweet spot for a lot of us, my average agent is about 60. Really? Um, Okay. I'll say, I'll say 57, right? Right. Because people are really catching on. 
but I have one agent who he was a state farm agent in his previous life and just running a lot of a lot of volume um, PNC. And when he realized that he could run all of his Medicare business from his office, I'm like afraid every time we're we're on the line because I think he's gonna stand up because he always talks about how he doesn't have to put on pants anymore. Oh no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm just always like, you know, but they love it. The ones that really get it, they absolutely love it. They don't want to go out anymore to the point that they're saying the clients or prospects, do you really want me in your home? Like, do you realize we can do everything over the phone? So they really, really get it. And I have some who are a little bit, you know, challenged um, technologically, some of my um, elder agents. Um, so they, of course, are used to the face-to-face, you know, going driving all the way to someone's home. So I hate to lean into a conversation around ageism um, because I really try and help them as much as I can, but I definitely can see where their production, their interest has really waned in this current environment. Yeah. I I think for me, I was more interested when I heard that a lot of the Medicare carriers were going to the telesales platform. I was curious to see how the seniors would deal with it. Right. I know the, the boomers are a lot more, technically savvy than, you know, prior generations. So, you know, I didn't know how that was going to play out. But, you know, when you start dealing with seniors that are in their 70s plus and you're saying, you know, log on to the Internet so we can do this, you know, electronic application. Right. Where, you know, in the past years, they've been used to agents just coming by and them signing the paperwork. So I was Yeah, if you think about it, they couldn't even go and visit their friends or husbands and wives in a nursing home or, mm-hmm. you know, at a hospital. So honestly, the the lockdown, the I would say the overall lockdown of the pandemic really made writing an insurance policy or accepting an insurance policy over the phone or by email. It really made it a small thing, to be honest. So if there mm-hmm. are those of you who are still not understanding that you can get down you know, from your home office, you guys are missing out. Yeah. And I'll share one more thing. We did consult with an, a, a small agency that was doing Medicare and the facilities that they were working at were all on lockdown. You know, yeah. they, they weren't letting anybody in, like you said, not even family, you know, a certain facility. So what we did is had them connect with the, the director at the facility yeah. and they had a little computer room. So they would set appointments and the seniors would come down and get in front of the computer, and do the Zoom. So I'm like, you just got to get creative in these spaces. That's right. Like, you know, you, you get, you get, it's always a solution. You just got to figure it out. So right. this we is where we are. This is where we are. You're right. And we got to just roll on. Uh, we got Nicole. Nicole said she is on the podcast. Pull up. Hey, Nicole. Glad to see you on with us. Um, don't know who the other one is, but yo, 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 back to you. <laughs> we got a couple <laughs> of people who are hanging with us tonight. So before we jump into the conversation, let's get into some industry news, right? Gotcha. Always, I'm so sad about this. We can always find a story about fraud. It's so terrible. I, I even tried to look this agent up online, but I couldn't find her. I guess she took her profile down because I really wanted to see her. But an Arizona wow. insurance agent pleaded guilty to plundering $1.3 million from an elderly client she claimed was a rich uncle. You know why she stole that money from him? Guess what? She was doing it because she was trying to pay back nine other clients that she ripped off. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So 49, I'm going to say her name, Coricia, Coricia, Corey Williams, 49. Yeah. So she's almost 50 years old. And this is what you're doing at the midpoint of your life. Um, But she was actually, I think she's going to get about 20 years for this last case, the 1.3 million. She actually got 51 months for the priors. So she was just really on a roll. She was thinking she could cover up what she'd done previously by <laughs> doing more fraud. How, how much was it? One point what million? One point three million. That's from the one client who she claimed was a rich uncle trying to cover up what she'd done previously. I think the previous client, uh, crime may have been about one hundred and thirty nine 
a hundred and some odd thousand. Um, yeah. So I guess she just got. She 10 at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to give anybody any ideas and this is for conversational purposes only. So I ain't trying to figure this out, but what are you thinking? An annuity? She tried to write an annuity or something. Cause how else do you get access to a million dollars? So as part of the fraud, she convinced this quote unquote rich uncle to give her 125,000 to donate to a charitable fund. So he has a special needs daughter. Mm. He, I mean, she really, really went went deep with it, or like like we can say to the gutter with this one. Um, and yeah, and was siphoning off of clients' annuities funds. Yeah. So, so if you are writing an, an annuity, that is one of the most regulated type of policies you can write in our business. Like you may get away for a little bit with some Medicare fraud when it comes to Medicare Advantage. You may get away with writing a couple of bad policies when it comes to life insurance. But when you start getting into annuities, you are asking for trouble. Yeah. You, I mean, because you got to realize there was a period when the insurance carriers, the commissioners, and everybody were looking at annuities so close because they were being sold to the wrong people for the wrong reasons. So here you are, an agent, looking at, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollar commission, and the the family finds out that you know, mom, dad, grandma, whoever just signed up for this policy, and their money's locked up for ten to fifteen years. So the first thing they're doing is calling the the carrier and then the insurance commissioner. So if you haven't crossed all your T's and dotted all your I's, you are in for a world of trouble. I mean, yeah. even people making honest mistakes. With something as simple as telling the the client, we're rolling the money over. Don't go cash it out. Because if you cash out of that retirement account or whatever, now you just cause a taxable event. Now that client is paying thousands of dollars on an IRA or something that's been sitting there for years because you didn't communicate something right. So, yeah, some of the other stuff you may be slick with, but you're asking for when you start dealing with annuities and that kind of money. All I know is um, we don't want to go to jail, people. We don't want to go to jail. We definitely don't want to do that. And even outside of jail, why would you jeopardize your life insurance um, career, your license? It's one of the best things that you could ever do, and you jeopardize it. But anyway, we don't want to give her too much time because none of us in sober are doing anything like that. So rolling right along. Uh, I looked at an article I thought was pretty cool about health insurance with customized coverage and lower cost. Um, Burnham Benefits, B-U-R-N-H-A-M. This is a company that is shaping innovative plans for like-minded businesses. So I don't know if you all are hearing about more of it. I've seen a couple of articles since the pandemic that talk about companies utilizing captive insurance programs, basically taking a group of companies that they'll join together, create a fund, and you can also call it a buying group. And they're generally in a like-to-like industry, or they're in the same industry, I should say, like-to-like business. And with that captive plan, instead of an overall very, very expensive insurance plan that an employer has to sponsor, they have the ability to exert greater control to negotiate terms such as renewal cycles, premiums, and things of that nature. So I would definitely say I haven't met anyone in SOBA that has talked about captives at all. So if you are an expert or someone who just, you know, deals in the world of captives, it will be great if you added that to the wall so we can kind of point you out. This is becoming more and more popular. Yeah, I know um, pretty soon we're going to have a conversation about the shift in health insurance and the opportunity is presenting for uh, agents. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Yep, yep. I think we got uh, Montoya. We know that because it says just my three cents. He says, good evening. What up, what up Ashley? And that I'm getting some feedback. I don't know if you all are hearing some feedback, but... Um, I tried to adjust my mic. So thanks for that, Montoya. But yeah, that for me, those were the two stories I saw. And I knew we had a hefty program tonight. So TP, you want to add anything to that? 
Yeah, I got one quick story that kind of ties into some of the conversations we've been having uh, over the past few weeks. This one says 81% of flood insurance policyholders will see rate increases. So the theme we've been seeing and discussing over the last few weeks during some of our industry news is we saw life insurance premiums go up across the board, term whole life IULs. Um, last week, we talked about auto insurance rates going through the roof and out of control. But this one is actually talking about flood insurance. So FEMA rolled out a major overhaul to one of their programs last April, and it promised bigger, richer homes would bear the brunt of the premium increases, while almost 90% of policyholders would see their costs stay stable or the same. So it looks like they were going after, you know, these people with, a, with huge policies, mansions and things like that. And we're telling everybody else, your premium should not be affected too much. But it says that the program went into effect, existing policyholders, more than 80% of homeowners are set to see their rates climb and the gains will spread largely evenly among the rich and the poor. Yeah. So it's not just going to hit the bigger policies, like they said, they're saying it's going to hit everybody um, across the board evenly. It says most policy um, holders probably won't feel the brunt in year one, but by year five and through year 10, the elevated cost of flood insurance could impact where Americans decide to buy, build, and move. That's so, what happens though, right? It's like they roll it out and let us know it's happening. Okay, we're going to hit the wealthy or, you know, um, the most income advantaged, but then over time, yeah. slowly but surely, yep. those of us with that are not wealthy look up and we're like, wait a minute, are we carrying the brunt? And I'm not necessarily saying that's going to happen. I don't have a crystal ball, but no, it's 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 happening. They were saying since the pandemic, both Florida and Texas have seen population surges. Many of these people try to escape higher taxes higher tax states and may not be accounting for the rising cost of insurance in these states. So interesting, again, we're just seeing, you know, the, these increases across the board when it comes to insurance. But, you know, I look at it as an opportunity. Like if you're an independent agent, people are shopping around right now. So they're not just taking whatever, you know, the first agent comes through the door with, especially with these rate increases happening across the board. So if, if you're out there, this is a great time to be doing policy reviews with your clients, reaching out to them, seeing what they're hearing, how they're being affected. Um, you know, it's it's definitely an opportunity for us and we need to look at it like that and take advantage of it. So absolutely. That's the only story I had tonight. So Ashley, welcome back. Thank you for being with us. We had we had a great conversation and we knew right off the rip we probably were gonna have to do a part two. You know, right. Shane, I love these conversations. And, you know, for most of the, the conversations, we try to keep it organic and just let it go. And when you have on good guests, I mean, you could talk and before you know it, the hour's gone. Right. So we kind of knew, like I said, this was probably going to be a part two. That's where we are tonight. Um, we're having a conversation around the great wealth transfer and asking the question of Black families missing out. Yeah. So just to kind of reset a little bit from, from last week, for those of you who don't know, the great wealth transfer right now is taking place from the baby boomers to their heirs over the next two decades, they're saying. It's estimated to be between 65 and $70 trillion being transferred during this period. So if you look, look at the national debt, the national debt's around $142 trillion, just to kind of give you an idea of how much money we're playing with. These families are passing 65 to 70 trillion dollars so it says we, we talked about this a little bit last week about the generation after and how they're using the money and what concerns we may have with you know millennials whatever but when i was doing a little research this week some of them have actually skipped the generation and gone straight to their grandkids they're not even yeah. leaving the money for their kids they're like look you I'm still here. You better get what you can get from me while I'm here because this money is going to the grandkids and the great grandkids. And I thought that was very interesting because Shay, last week you bought up the sandwich generation a little bit. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of throwing some of the traditional ways we looked at generational wealth being passed down. They're skipping generations now. So I don't know if it's because of the dynamic of the relationships and millennials moving differently 
and the parents maybe not feeling that or if it's just the new way of doing things. I don't know. I, I'm so actually, I want to I want to take a stab at it and then I want to turn it over to you. So is it because the millennials are at home with them anyway? <laughs> I don't think that's the case. You know, like in, in reading up on real estate, um, millennials really took advantage of work from home and getting into the housing market. So I don't I don't think that's what it is. But I do think a lot of it comes from this misconception about millennials and their work ethic and yes. um, really a lack of understanding of how costs truly have gone up and impacted millennials the way that it has. Um, I think that's the thing that I enjoy seeing most when people talk about numbers online and you talk about how um, I, I think something I read said that I can't remember. It was like affordability is like 22. It was 22 percent back in the day. And now it's at 14 percent. I mean, even with Atlanta being pushed out in terms of being affordable based on housing prices and income, um, I, I think. If I'm thinking about it, like I would want to make sure that my grandkids are okay. Like we're alive, you got this, you know. I I don't know how inflation in the future, especially when you talk about student loans and money, how is that going to impact those grandkids? Like you're all right, you got a job, you're saving, you know. And and I think that comes from a lack of honest conversations, very vulnerable and transparent conversations about finances. That it's just like you're good. Let me worry about them because what will it look like in fifteen or twenty years? Let me take care of them. Yeah. yeah. So I, mean, I think one thing that's interesting is when you look at the baby boomers are probably the last generation that had actual retirement plans and pensions set up. Yeah. Right. You can work for a company 30, 40 years and leave with something. Mm-hmm. Whereas now that's no longer the case. I mean, we're, we're heavily investing into 401ks because yeah. the guaranteed pension plans are no longer there. And then millennials have, they're, they're in a nice space where you can still make good money without locking yourself up in a corporation for 30, 40 years, right? With with the advent of social media and, and the yeah. gig economy and so many different things, you know, to your point, Ashley, I think the baby boomers may be looking at them like, y'all all right. Yeah. I need to, you know, start setting up my grands and great grands. So again, it was very interesting when I saw that, but um, just want to give a breakdown real quick of the different generations before we get into the conversation. The baby boomers born between 46 and 64. The silent generation was before then 1925 to 45. Uh, The great generation was before then 1901 to 1924. Then we have Gen X's 65 through 79, millennials 81 through 96. And Gen Z, which is the latest generation right now is from 97 till today. So just to kind of give a breakdown, and I don't know if we're going to have time tonight, but in order to kind of get a real understanding of where this wealth came from, you might want to look at the different generations, yeah. you know, how the silent generations, they were real savers and they mm-hmm. passed a lot on because they didn't spend. They were after the world, the world war two generation. So it's, it's very interesting if you start looking at the spending habits of the different generations to kind of figure out how we got to where we are today. Yeah, I want to address a question here. It says, wouldn't the, millenn- wouldn't the millennials be the grandkids of the boomers? I thought Gen X were the boomers' yeah. children. So both both are. So yeah. some some Gen Xers are the children, and then you have some millennials that are the children. So if you look at, like TP said, like if you look at the age group, so millennials right now are age 26 to 41, where Gen X is 42 to 57. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, it does include um, both of those, but oftentimes, oftentimes Gen X just gets shifted to the side in these conversations yeah. about wealth, which, and actually you might want to speak to this, but when I take a look at investing um, from a generational standpoint, I mean, Gen X, when it comes to having investments, and this is an Investopedia article, but they're just talking about overall investments. 
I mean, it's not like we're not doing nothing. Gen X is 59% um, invested where, of course, millennials are, what, 64% invested. Mm. So it is more, right? And I will venture to say that the world has opened up to a lot more non-traditional investments. Um, We've got digital assets that millennials are much more open um, about going after. They tend to understand technological advancements a little bit more. I think Gen X is still hanging on to a lot of the stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and maybe I'll jump over here into cryptocurrency a little bit. Yeah. I do have to say that that is my story. Um, But Ashley, I'm interested from your standpoint. First, I'm I'm interested to know what is the average age of of your client? And then what does their, depending on, you know, the generation, what does their investment portfolio consist of? So I would say my average clients are millennials, um, maybe early Gen X. uh, So anywhere from early 30s to about mid 40s. And and I would say that for most clients, unfortunately, they don't have anything. And if they do, it's a 401k that they have no idea what's going on in it. They have the default investment option. Um, They are not in a position to be investing at this time. One, because they don't understand it. Two, because they've not gotten their finances in a position where they have the discretionary income to invest. And I think even in talking to some of my friends and people that are in my age range, um, like cryptocurrency is a very big thing because it feels very affordable. So a lot of people, millennials, um, they're, they're hopping into those alternative investments. Um, but I think they're weary of traditional investments just because like, you have the great recession that happened. You have 2008 when they were entering the job market. You know, there were corrections in 2017. So like all of these things have happened that have kind of shaken their confidence in investing in traditional investments. And like when you think about it, you know, like these companies, you're not getting Amazons every couple of years, right? Like if, if you had the opportunity to get in on Amazon when it was $15, like right. you are making really good money right now. And so there aren't as many opportunities where these companies are coming out and they are sustaining themselves and they're not being bought up. You know, like now we have these larger companies that are hopping on and trying to get these companies and buy them out. So you really don't see the opportunity to see that appreciation in your account because those companies aren't lasting long. They're being bought out by those larger companies. Right, right. Got a couple more questions real quick. Uh, Somebody said black boomers are not passing wealth in the same way. Expound on that a little bit. Do you just mean the amount or? Well, I mean, now they can expound upon it and I want you to. But that was the next turn of this conversation because we're talking about the greatest, greatest, excuse me, wealth transfer in history. Mm -hmm. But for black folks, that hits a little bit different, right? Because Mm -hmm. you are also dealing with this increasingly large wealth transfer racial I'm sorry, wealth gap, racial yeah. wealth gap. So with those two things together, one of the um, things I was reading, it said, <clears throat> as far as the transfer of wealth from the boomers down to the millennials, it says basically 400 of the richest those of those on the Forbes list, they'll be receiving like 50 million a piece, right? Wow. All right. We're not in that number. Yeah. Um, it says black families are five times less likely to receive a sizable inheritance. Um, I even read which, which you know, depending on the part of the spectrum that you fit in, it's more, right? It could be a lot more. But I read something that said that an average inheritance, we're not talking about the riches, the 400 riches anymore, but an average inheritance could look like for a millennial something around $240,000. And I said, well, wow, I'm interested to know who they surveyed. Um, Because for us, it doesn't look the same. And that really was the premise 
of of this show. That was the bedrock of our show. We wanted to talk about the way it hits differently um, in our community. It's just, yeah. it's just not the same. So quick comment, Gen X and millennial in the black community are more likely to be caring. I'm thinking that's saying for our parents. Um, that's Nicole. Yeah, Shay talked about that, the sandwich generation. So taking care of your parents and your kids is very common. Can, can we do one thing real quick? What, let's, let's define wealth. Thank you. Right. I, I always love Chris Rock bit where he always talks about, he, he said, you know, Shag is rich. The guy that signs his check is wealthy. So there's a lot of different, you know, terminology going around, definitions going around when, when we talk about wealth. You know, Ashley, you, you're more in that space, you know. So can you kind of define what wealth looks like? I think for me, wealth is having assets, whether that's cash, stocks, real estate, that goes with generations. It's not just stopping with your child or your grandchild. When you're talking wealthy, you're talking about lifetimes. You're talking about it's staying in the family, in the family, in the family, in the family. It's not leaving. You have created something that exceeds your and future generations lifetimes. And, and it's not just you can buy the things that you want and not worry about it. It's that whatever needs your family has, they're met all without any work or input that they have to do on their own. Like those assets are truly taking care of your children, their children, their children's children, and, and the things that they're doing above and beyond that are further increasing that wealth, that value um, that your family has. No, yeah. no I agree 100%. 100%. So to, to that point, we're, we're working with you know our definition. We just put it out there, actually put it out there, the definition of, of wealth. And you know the question... When it, when it comes to the racial wealth gap and it comes to this transfer of wealth, just pouring on down, right, that many of us won't won't get. Um, is it even fair? You know, should we be looking at mainstream wealth as a black community? Should we be looking at and judging our wealth based on mainstream or is that more of a distraction to keep us feeling less than. What what should we be doing in the face of all of this news, knowing that we have stark differences? Yeah, I mean, I feel like unless we could go back and rewrite history, right? Like we, we can't use the same definition because the playing field was never level when it started for us. Like that's just a community thing, right? There is no way that we can get back um, the wealth that was done in terms of the land that was stolen from us, from the economic development that we did with our labor, right? Like there's an unspeakable amount of money that is just gone from the labor that we've had. And so I, I don't think that's fair because we can never catch up to that right now, right? Like, could it be possible in the future? Absolutely, but it would require our community as a collective working together to ensure that for everyone. And right now that's not where we are. Um, so I don't think it's fair, but I, I think that we can start moving the needle in the right direction um, by ensuring that there just the basics are in place for everyone within our community so that, I mean, you know that if you have kids, it's still going to cost money to raise them, whether you're alive or not. So why don't you have life insurance? Why are you only getting the basics? Why are you only having the policy through your job? Um, it, it comes down to like, if your car is the main vehicle, why would you not have enough for it to be paid off? So that asset can transfer over, you know, or having enough for your home to be paid off. Like these things that are going to make the lives of the people in your life easier where they don't have to worry about shifting what their financial responsibilities are to take on your financial responsibilities because you've passed away. And I think that's how we can start shifting um, the conversation around wealth in our community is just by having the basics together. I agree. 
Shay, there's a couple of comments up there. You want to read them? Uh, let me see. Wealth is the number. Oh, wow. We got a lot. The numbers I've seen about five years ago was 401k is the average white inheritance. For, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 140,000, I guess, is the average white inheritance. In the black community, 80% do not receive an inheritance. And the average for the other 20% was about 40,000. Um, mm-hmm. Wealth is having financial capability that extends at least two generations that does not require someone working to achieve um, the resources. And then another set, that's Nicole says, we can't compare. I think Montoya was the first, maybe the second. And then lastly, it's not it's not a distraction if it can wake us up on learning how to gain wealth based on the rules of the game. It is a distraction if we care about closing the gap. Yep. But it is a motivator if it can encourage us to be um, a lot better, just my three cents. So for me, that's exactly the point. Um, When we talk about closing a gap, in my mind, that is a, that is a, terrible distraction um and it continues to work it continues and continues to work one of the things that you said nicole that i am a strong proponent of you didn't say these words but you talked about community responsibility i'll sum it up that way and hopefully that's okay with you because the way that i look at wealth um, for our community one of the things that i think is is a game changer is Co-op. I always talk about co-op and co-op businesses, owning businesses together that we own, control, and can pass down. Because the truth of the matter is, no matter whether or not the three of us on this podcast today are all wealthy or all millionaires or so to speak, we all can pick up our phones, probably in our emergency contacts, the people who are closest to us, and pull up two to three people that will never be will never hold a thousand dollars you know, in their savings account. And wealth is also in our families. Wealth is also our community. Um, And so if we ignore our community and the responsibility of one another, then we'll never get, forget about any kind of wealth gap, like even getting ahead based on how we as a black community see ourselves getting ahead. It can't happen if we don't have that um, community responsibility. So I almost cringe when I hear people say things like, and I'm just going to use the older term. I know we have many different ways to say it, but you know, you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and things like that. Um, I was watching Viola Davis and Oprah Winfrey over the weekend. Really powerful um, interview. I, I I think Viola Davis is just she's a gem of gem of gems. Like she is awesome. But she said, what about, you know, when people say that and you literally don't have any boots to pull up. And the more we act like that's not true in this day and age with all the information we have, that's just not right. I mean, there's no better way to say it. Like, that's just not the way to look at this. Well, it doesn't really fit into the narrative of like what our society is trying to push, right? Like we're pushing consumerism and consumption. So like, it's all about you feeling less than so that you can go out and do these things to keep spending money and put money in the pockets of these corporations, right? And so like even even in preparing for this episode, one of my points was like, you have to know what your why is in all of these things that you're doing because um, you know what tends to happen is if someone does happen to get money and you don't have a plan, an idea, an inkling of what you want to do, that money hits your hand and leaves. And it's because you didn't think about these things in advance. And I, I know like death and transferring and all like it's it's scary conversations, but we have to have them, right? Yeah. Like to me, it is so disrespectful anytime I see a GoFundMe um, for burial expenses. Like we're all going to die. Like that. <laughs> That's not some optional thing that, you know, like, oh, I'm not going to die. Let me just go ahead and uncheck this box. Like, you're going to pass away. So why are we not even preparing for that? Because if the average medical expense of $500 or $1,000 will set people back and, like, mess up their financial house, what is the loss of income going to do? 
what is the cost of funeral expenses going to do? Like you're having to get certified death certificates. You're having to turn that stuff in. That's not cheap. If there are assets and you have to go through probate, that process is not free. And so these are basic things that are going to happen to all of us. And you could put these protections in place. You could get some money together. And I know like people like to use their tax returns to get cars and buy clothes and go on vacations, but you could be paying for a life insurance policy. You could be, yeah, you could make sure that this stuff is taken care of and that be that. And like, there's no right way. And and I think like people get lost in this idea that there's a particular way to do it, but we're all different. All of our situations are different. So you have to be honest with yourself and know what your situation looks like and prepare for that reality. Uh, it's it just like the one example that kept coming to me today is like, um, people that lose or gain weight and like you have these clothes in your closet that you're just letting it sit there like I, I'm gonna get back into these yeah I'm gonna get back to it no you need to be honest about where you are right now so that you can live how things are right now like if you lose the weight fantastic but right now you're the size that you are so you need to like live accordingly and that's the same thing with our finances it's great if you want to be a millionaire it's it's terrible and you know I, I hope things improve for you if you're in a position where you don't have enough money but you have to be honest about where you are because that's how you start your financial foundation that's how you move up that's how you figure things out and and really get creative and find the best things that work for you instead of chasing what other people are saying that that perfect post that they're putting out that tells you what's happening or what they're doing like you can't live off of that you'll always be chasing other things and other people because you're not being real about where you are. Always. And America loves it. Um, yeah. I have two questions, one for you, TP, and then one for you, Ashley. Um, and I'm asking in this order, foundation, you know, going up. Our audience, for the main part, are licensed insurance agents, whether it be property and casualty or life and health. Um, speaking to the life agents, how, what kind of conversation, TP, do you have with an agent who you know is is writing basic policies um, just, just for the sake of commission in our community, looks like us? Um, what do you say to that agent about, and, and, I'm, and I'm attempting to capture this particular conversation, and in light of this conversation, how do you address that agent? I mean, typically, if if I see that being the case, I'm going to have a conversation with the agent about how they're engaging the prospect when they go in the house. And what I mean by that is, are you fact finding or are you just going in to sell? Right. So I don't have that situation too often because they understand the culture of my company, but it's definitely something that requires retraining a lot of times for agents because again when most agents come in the industry they're told to sell basic products and everything is based on production so if i see an agent coming in i'm sitting them down having a conversation say are you really doing what's best for the client or are you doing best what's best for your pockets and if it's the pockets then it's going to be a completely different conversation right there's one thing if you just aren't trained properly it's another thing if you're just not out there doing the right thing by the client. So we definitely have those conversations once I look at those numbers and see what they're producing. Yeah. When it comes to life insurance agents who may not be securities licensed, um, may not even be dealing with annuities, right? And from, from a wealth building perspective with products, right? Ashley, what would you, what would you say an agent should also be layering into that conversation. Someone calls them and, you know, ask them about, you know, oh, I need, I think I need $50,000. You know what I mean? I, or, you know, I, I need insurance. I don't have insurance. But from the standpoint of an advisor, a coach, you know, what are the things that they're, that person is missing out on saying, you know, to help this family in terms of wealth building? 
So for me, there's always two things that I do with my clients when we're talking about um, insurance. And, and I want them to come back to how it feels. One thing that is always big for me is saying numbers, right? Because people, people hear them, but if you don't put it into perspective, mm-hmm. um, what's happening, they're not going to get it. And so like one thing that happened to me, which is like my mom, she is um, a claims adjuster. And so she was like, Ashley, like, I want you to tally up the stuff in your apartment. She was like, what is the minimum for your apartment for insurance coverage? I was like 20,000. She was like, um... So tally up the stuff in your bedroom, you know, your dishes, all that type of stuff. Like, would you would you still have to come out of pocket to pay for things? And so like I sat down, like tallied up my DVDs, like all of this stuff. And I was like, I mean, if anything happened, I'm not going to have enough coverage. And so yeah. when you have these conversations about, oh, you're getting a $50,000 policy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars to be buried. It's going to cost X amount of dollars to, you know, with this is the debt that you have and you pay it off. And now you have $5,000 left for your spouse. What is $5,000 going to do, right? You you have to make it a real conversation. Yeah. You can't assume because they hear the numbers, right? $400,000 dollars sounds like a good amount right but if your home is two hundred and fifty thousand, you have a special needs child and that's not going to do anything right you know and so you have to make it real in that sense and then the one exercise that i always try to do with my clients is again i come back to the feeling and so i say how does it feel if we run through these numbers and you only have five thousand dollars left and they'll be like I'm concerned. I'm worried. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to play to those emotions. And so then you give them another number. Well, what what does it feel like if you have one hundred thousand dollars left over? I know my spouse is going to be okay. I know that that will cover my child till high school. And, you know, then they can figure it out. Right. So you have to how does it feel in your body? And we're constantly moving. We're constantly like going that we get disconnected from these feelings and and. When I have these conversations, I tell them, like, I want you to feel okay because if you don't have enough coverage now, like, it's not going to change. You're getting locked into this, right? Right. You have to come back to what's going to make you feel best, what's going to alleviate that anxiety. Because if you realize that you sign up for this thing and you don't have enough coverage, at some point, it's going to give you anxiety. It's going to be running across your mind. You're going to have to figure out how to get another policy. Why not skip all of that right now and really be focused on how does this make me feel? Do I feel empowered? Do I feel taken care of? Do I feel like my spouse would be taken care of? My child, my grandchildren, is this enough, right? Come back to how your body responds. And like when you say numbers, you give them a second to really process what that looks like. And and I like to break it down to the month. Like, don't just leave it with the annual amount. Break it down on a monthly amount. You know, when you're talking about $100,000, you know, what someone's getting is $4,000 a year. And then you break that down to a a monthly amount. I can't do anything with that. You're right. You can't. Let's have a real conversation about what you actually need, what's going to put you in the best position. And you meet between what I can afford and what's going to do the most, what's going to give me the most bang for my buck. Right. And I think what what Ashley's actually talking about right now is what separates an advisor from an agent. Yeah. Right. An agent is out there for a quick sale, quick transaction where an advisor is really taking into consideration the person's situation right now and how to better position themselves for things that may come. So that's that's huge. You know, when you and we talk about, you know, the difference sometimes of being an independent agent versus a career agent. And it's not to knock anything. But when you are the independent agent, a lot of times you have more options and you can have those conversations versus just having to try to force somebody, you know, into a product. So I I love that, Ashley. And there's a couple more comments up. Numbers don't lie. A great approach, Ashley. And then there's one big one, uh, longer one here. It says, unfortunately, we haven't overcome the history of only being sold certain types of insurance policies, programs like this are the messages needing 
to change the narrative. Just, hey, appreciate that, Montoya. And you've been yeah. a part of those conversations as well. So thank you for that. That's but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, so let me ask this real quick. You know, I told you guys I, I was on the phone this week. And, you know, when you're on the phone, you get a lot of no's, right? You get, you get a lot, you, you get some objections you try to overcome. And I know where I buy leads. So I know what communities I'm working in mm-hmm. when I'm making some of these calls, right? So what do you say to the people that are just like, we can't as a community catch up? Because somebody said you can't compare the two when we're talking about you know, transfer of wealth and, and different things like that. I read a book a couple of years ago by um, Angel Rich called The History of the Black Dollar. And there were six times that she, she spoke about how black people were robbed of wealth, going back to the Freeman's Bank, um, you know, veterans coming home from the war that was supposed to get housing that didn't, um, you know, Tolson, I can't remember all of them, but you know, some people, say again, I just said 2008, the great yeah. wealth extraction. Yeah. So, you know, some people, they're just like, what's the point? Like you hear people say, I'm not leaving anything behind because we're so far behind. I just got to be able to live my life and enjoy, you know, the years I have here. I don't have time to build for, you know, my kids or my grandkids. Like, what are the conversations you're having? Shay, you you do this, you're in sales with me as well. Start with you, like, how are you overcoming that objection? Like, I just ain't going to do it. Well, well, first of all, you said something interesting. You said for those who say we can't catch up, I think that's the term you use. I'm done with catching up. Forget about catching up. Don't worry about catching up, you know, from where you are right here, right now. And this is why I love what Ashley does. I love the coaching aspect because there's so much shame, you know, around not being quote unquote caught up when, listen, we weren't caught up before you were even thought of. That was not even a thing for us. So if we can help people shed or open up where there is shame, where there's financial shame. That is what I would like for insurance agents, even those who are not advisors or deal with quote unquote um, investments, but all of us deal with money and insurance is the foundation of it. And so if we could learn, I don't know if it's a sensitivity, you know, black sensitivity training, even though we are black, I don't know what that looks like, but the approach has to be different in reference to starting from where you are. Ashley talked about something really, really important. Everything in our life is about a feeling. It's about it's it's about everything we do is about obtaining a certain feeling, even if you're trying to avoid something. Right. And so if if we could get used to the fact that most of us don't even know how to feel comfortable. We don't even know what feeling comfortable feels like. And we can take a coaching consulting approach to this, even though that conversation can take 30 minutes to an hour or more longer than you skating in and out talking about some, you know, $5,000 policy, the referrals that come from it, the reward, the inner reward that comes from you literally doing going over and above the call of duty is what's needed. We talk about us being a cornerstone for the black community, advisors, agents, all of us. I think a lot of it is us approaching this much differently with more feeling, more coaching, more compassion. Some of us are never going to do that, right? But those of us who do, we are going to be or continue to be a part of the change. I I definitely agree. And I think one of the challenges we have is we're veterans in the industry, right? We've all got 10 plus years. So for the newer agent, we have to be realistic and practical. Most agents aren't being trained to do what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. right? Most agents come in and are taught to sell. So, Ashley, you're, you're where you are now, where you have these conversations. Shay, I know you have these conversations as well. How did you get there? Like to the agent to say, hey, I got to go in tomorrow and I got a quota I got to meet. I love what y'all are saying. I would love to do more for my community, but I got eight appointments to run and I got to get back to the office at six o'clock and tell my manager everything that happened. He don't care that, you know, Ms. Jones didn't, doesn't have this or that or whatever. So for the agent that wants to be there, but this situation just doesn't allow them to, what do you say to them? 
I I think it comes down to a level of vulnerability and transparency that people aren't comfortable with. Um, Because for me, when I had conversations, you know, doing participant education, um, I was always transparent about people, about my debt, about how it made me feel about the positions that it put me in and it made me relatable because what people think when they see me when I'm going out to meetings is that I'm above them. I, I understand these concepts. I'm trying to sell them things, right? Like that, that's what I always had to overcome. What are you trying to sell me? Like, I don't want to be sold. And that was never, ever my goal. I want you to be knowledgeable because when you are knowledgeable, you are empowered. And so for me, it is talking to every person as if they were my grandmother, as if they were a child, not condescending, but I'm going to explain to you what term is, what whole life is so that you understand them. Let me make sure you get it so that when I build on these concepts, when I take it back to your story, you can relate to it because I know that you understand. And I don't think whether it's insurance, it's financial services, people aren't willing to treat people like they're basic. They're people, you know, when you've been in your industry for a while, you you have this set knowledge and confidence in what you know. And so you go in with the assumption that people are going to understand the basics, but like your basics is not the average working person's basics. So even the concept of term, like, you know, when when I talk to my clients about insurance, because I'm like, I want you to shop. You need to shop around every year. You need to have more than what you're talking about right now. And so it becomes like, I want to make sure you understand these concepts so that when you have these conversations with your friends, because you're going to bring it up, because you're going to call someone and be like, well, I was talking to this person. I'm trying to decide if I want to get term or whole life. You can have conversations and extend that net and increase that knowledge for other people. So like, I want to make sure that I'm being transparent. I'm being vulnerable with you. I'm not talking above you. And I am trying to understand your story. I'm trying to get to what your need is. Doesn't matter what's going on for me. What is your need? And how can I get close to meeting that for you and making sure that you understand it at your level, not my level, at your level so that you can make the best decision for yourself. Right. Right. I love I love your passion around that. TP, some of the agents who are younger or older who are running in and running out and not willing to have these conversations, that's just them. And I, I really think it has to be something either that you already have inside of you. You know, you already have to have a passion and a heart and want to stand in the gap. Or you have to have enough experience to to get that confidence um, to understand that you are in a position where you can really help change someone's life in a major way, not just in a small policy way. I tell this story really quick. I know we're at nine o'clock, but just foregoing those last little gems, um, I went to visit an agent of mine, a new agent of mine, happened to be a property and casualty agent already. So I was going to visit him at his office. Well, I ended up going just thinking, I know Atlanta, I know where I'm going. I've seen this sign. I know where I'm going. So I walk into another property and casualty office by mistake. There's a young man in there, a young black man, and he's like slumped in his chair. He's the only one in there. So I guess the owners kind of leave him there kind of during the day to catch the walk-ins. And so um, I spoke to him. He had no knowledge of Medicare. First of all, I found out I was in the wrong office. But I introduced myself anyway, got his information. When he heard that I wanted to introduce him to something, um, he got his business card, said, no, this is my cell phone number. Call me. Called the young man, and he sounded just like a mumble rapper. When he answered the phone, he was like, and I said, hello, is this such and such? He said, yes. And as we as we kept speaking, even though in my mind, I said, oh, my God, he's answering the phone this way. But I'm tired. You have to... Sounds cliche, but you got to be the change you want to see, right? So I gave this young man the time to where the by the end of the conversation, he understood where I was coming from and he spoke like a completely different person. I didn't mention it at all. Um, so next step, we're going to interview and go forward. So I would just say to Gen Xers and to those of you, those of us 
who realize what we have the opportunity to do, you got to grab these young people, these new agents. You have to grab them. That is our responsibility. It's not on them to say, oh, I'm coming into this industry and I understand all the ins and outs. If you're not taking the time to bring to bring folks up, then that is a transference of wealth that we are missing out on right there, right here in our industry. So I encourage and I challenge all of us that if you are not doing that, do your part, you know, take care of your clients, but also take care of the agents that are coming up after you too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, we, we're at, we're at nine again and another hour flew by. You'd be doing it too. Um, I, I, yeah. I mean, you know, I look at some podcasts and like, how are you on it for two hours? I see how. I mean, yeah. it's it's easy, you know, when you have someone passionate and you're having a good conversation, time just flies by. So I do want to wrap up. Um, Ashley, thank you again for joining yeah. us. You know, so but these are conversations we can continue on the wall. Um, Ashley gave her contact info and we'll give it again this evening in case you have some questions, want to reach out with her or work with her best believe anybody we bring on the podcast, we've already vetted. Yep. Like Ashley has actually worked with, with me with some personal clients. Um, you know, so I, I, I completely trust her. We bring vetted people on the show. So if we give you their contact, you can reach out to them. We, we good with that. So Ashley, I want to give you another opportunity real quick. If people want to reach you, can you give your info one more time, please? Yeah, sure. So you can find me on Instagram at Making Money Matter LLC. Same with Facebook. You can go to my website, www.makingmoneymatter.org. You can send me an email, Ashley at makingmoneymatter.org or uh, makingmoneymatter at gmail.com. Whatever is your pleasure. I am on um, Facebook. Yeah, find me. Send me a message. I love Let me say this. Appreciate it. Montoya was on tonight. Montoya and Ashley. And um, Dr. Pittman, who's a therapist, have a dope show every other Monday where they you think this conversation was deep. And we didn't even really get to a lot of stuff we wanted to get to with family. I encourage you go check out what they do over on on their their podcast every other week. So we'll drop the information on that. And um, when you guys record or go live or whatever, drop episodes, we'll start sharing them over here because we love what y'all do over there. Y'all just got a taste of it tonight. Trust yep. y'all have heard Montoya on the show. We started to bring her and Montoya on the show at the same time. And I'm like, we'll be here four hours. I mean, <laughs> that's just the way those conversations will go. We love them both. They bring great perspective to the conversation. Very knowledgeable, very passionate. So, you know, I really appreciate you coming on, Ashley. Quick, and, um, quick plug. We'll catch um, up soon. Oh, go ahead, Shay. Quick plug for uh, Making Money Matters. I did it. I sponsored this show for a little bit and you all can do the same where they're advertise your company on their show. So I definitely appreciate that. And um, if you all aren't reaching out to Ashley or Montoya in reference to clients and, you know, working with clients, reach out and uh, make your business stretch, sponsor their show. They're doing good things. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank you Absolutely. so much for having me. No problem. Thanks again, Ashley. We talk to you soon. Thanks. Right. Shay, we are past our hours so i don't really have much i ain't even gonna put on our little music tonight our little duck walk or whatever it's called i'm just gonna say um you know thanks to uh, our members we got some new members again this week i apologize i don't have all the names to shout y'all out but soap is definitely growing um guys do not forget we need y'all to go ahead and close out your registrations for black friday this friday is the last day for early registration so Make sure that you guys are signing up. This is an opportunity for us to show these carriers that we can come together under one banner and do something big, right? We also, need to show up. Go ahead, also, in light of all these rates going up, uh, what I learned about property and casualty agents, it's a great time for you all to diversify. I'm finding out that, um, well, life agents too, who are writing policies that are lapsing, diversify. This is an opportunity to come together, to network, to be right in front of carriers and to really, you know, um, align yourself, you know, with more than one line of insurance, more than one offering. We are, we're having lunch. We're doing drinks at a reception, just really getting to know each other. We're doing some networking exercises. So this is really, really for you all. And it is, it, it is no cost. 
So not only do you want to register, go ahead and share that link um, with other agents that you know can benefit. But yeah, diversify yourself. Absolutely. So that's all I got for housekeeping. I know we usually close out tonight, but we had so much positivity doing the podcast. We may not need a a special word tonight. So any last comments, gems you want to drop before we get out of here? Since you asked, since you asked, I'm just going to say you all, this is something my father used to tell me all of the time. And in light of some things that have happened to me recently, um, I think he got it from Les Brown, but he always used to say, First things first and second things not at all. Stay focused, you know, trust and respect the plans that you have for yourself. And as things come along, they don't have to really impact you. So, again, first things first and second things not at all. Hey, with that, we're signing off. Good evening. So, so we're family. We'll check y'all out next week.